Morning, everybody. It's uh, great to be with you this morning. Um, actually, I, do, I probably don't need to say very much because Liz has done a great job of summarizing what I'm about to unpack for the next probably 25 minutes or something like that. So um, if you take, if you listen to anything, take away what Liz says. Um, but let's, uh, let's have a look at what this means by God is unchanging a bit more. You know, I think as, as human beings, we all live in a world uh, that change is just part and parcel of everyday life. Um, the circumstances that we find ourselves in are constantly changing. Um, and those can change in an instant, either for good or for bad. We can find the newfound freedom, perhaps, of passing our driving test, or sadly and tragically, we can experience the sudden death of a loved one. And not only do our external circumstances change, but we also notice changes in ourselves. Um, our bodies develop and mature from childhood through to adulthood. And then when you get to my age, things start to break down and you find that one morning I can't find a, you know, a way of doing things that I used to be able to do and, and stuff breaks and stuff doesn't work as it should do. Um, and not only that, but also our beliefs and attitudes and behaviors change. And again, those can change for good or ill. So whether we like it or not, we live in a world where we're exposed to change continuously. We have actions and forces acting upon us, external to ourselves, that force change upon us. Uh, you just think about the last 12 months, and if you think about the, the actions that have been taken in response to the virus, how have those things impacted and changed society? How have those things changed family life? And how have those things changed and impacted you yourself in this last 12 months? And not only can we think of change in terms of these external forces acting upon us, but also God has created us in His image, and He's given us the ability to do stuff, obviously within limits, but we can use all of our skills, our talents, our relationships to bring about change. We can take a piece of ground and we can cultivate that and we can grow flowers, we can grow fruit and we can grow vegetables. We can build houses as homes for people to live in. We can even build oil platforms in the middle of the North Sea and put helicopters in the sky to take us there. We can work together to create good things and change things. Medics can repair broken bodies and minds. And not only that, but we'll also think about relationships. We can make babies, we can build families, we can nurture children, we can even build civilizations. That's all the positive stuff. We also know that humans can act in destructive ways too. And we can tear down, and we can destroy, and we can kill off. So change can bring with it not only a sense of excitement as we experience new things, but also change imposes and often accompanies uh, uncertainty. And often change is a thing that actually uh, attaches itself to us and we, and we can feel fearful or anxious because of things that are changing that are outside of our, our control. So on the one hand, we have a world where we know that things change. And yet on the other hand, we also know that some things don't change. So I can be sure that every time I go into the kitchen 
to brew a cup of tea, that when I put the kettle on, the water will boil at 100 degrees centigrade. I know that on any given day, on any given year, we can predict really reliably what time the sun will rise and what time the sun will set. And despite what people might want to think or believe, two plus two always equals four. We wouldn't be able to build anything if that wasn't the truth. And actually, our ability to live on this lump of rock that's spinning through space at 67,000 miles per hour actually relies on laws that are built into the ordered, created order of the world, laws that don't change. Those laws that are unchanging are necessary for life. Just imagine if you boil the kettle. Uh, every time uh, you boil the kettle for a cup of tea, the water came out at a different temperature. Or just imagine how disorientating it would be if gravity only worked for some of the time. You know, if, if gravity suddenly lost its pull on us, this, this, you know, just now, we'd end up floating around on the ceiling one minute and then landed on our feet on the floor the next minute. So we have things which change, become different with time, and we also have things that are unchanging, that stay fixed. And in this series, we're exploring the different attributes of God. We're looking today at God is unchanging. Another way, another word that I'm going to use to describe this is a word, uh, immutability. And immutability just means uh, that it doesn't mutate or it doesn't change. So theologians often talk about God's immutability to describe this unchangeableness uh, of God. And I think it's important, like all other attributes of God, it's vitally important that we have a biblical understanding of what it means that God doesn't change. Because if we're mistaken about any aspect of God or this aspect of God in particular, we can become dangerously deceived. However, a grasp of an understanding of God's immutability actually brings real peace and security as I hopefully we'll be able to unpack as we go through. So before I get to say, before getting to look at some of the implications for us uh, by, by what it means that God doesn't change, I want to just make, um, just want to look at what it means that God is unchanging. What do we actually mean by that? Um, in our reading from Hebrews uh, that, that Leah read for us, um, the author of Hebrews, right at the end of that passage, quotes directly from Psalm 102. And if you've got a Bible, turn to Psalm 102 and verses 25 and 26. This is what it says. Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. This passage draws out a fundamental distinction between God, the Creator, and the rest of creation. The Creator God stays the same, but creation changes. And that's a really fundamental distinction. And it, you know, the psalmist looks at two aspects of creation here, two things which we would think of as fixed and immovable. One of those is the earth beneath our feet, 
and the other is the heavens or the sun, the moon, and the stars. So we can look at our night sky for our entire lifetime, and night after night we'll see exactly the same constellations. We can look at the landscape that we live in, and the hills are in the same place as they were yesterday as they were 10,000 years ago. Those things seem to us to be immovable and fixed. But look at what the psalmist says. It says that even these immovable objects will wear out like a piece of clothing. God can and will change them. Just like you or I might take a jacket and put it on or take it off. That's what creation is like for God. He can change it, even these seemingly immovable objects. So we need to understand that all of creation is subject to change and changes. And even the stars one day will actually be no more. Uh, I don't want to alarm you today, but our sun, which is shining today, burns five billion kilograms of hydrogen every single second. So at some point, the sun will actually run out of fuel and the sky will become dark and there won't be any gravity any longer. You don't have to worry too much about that because it's probably going to happen in about four billion years time from now. So don't, uh, don't stay awake tonight worrying about that. But, but the difference between, this, is the, this difference between God remaining the same and every created thing in the, in the universe being subject to change is a crucial distinction. And this is what the Dutch the- theologian Herman Bavik says about this. The doctrine of God's immutability is of the highest significance for religion. The contrast between being and becoming marks the difference between the creator and creature. Every creature is continually becoming. It is changeable, constantly striving, seeks rest and satisfaction, and finds his rest in God, in him alone, for he is pure being and no becoming. Hence in Scripture, God is often called the rock, with a capital R. So whatever scale that you care to look at in creation, from the cellular level to the biggest stuff in the cosmos, everything is changing. People and animals are born, live, and die. Kingdoms, empires, and entire civilizations rise and fall. We're no longer living under Roman rule. Communism collapsed in Eastern Europe. Brexit did actually happen. And many commentators believe at the minute that the West, in detaching itself from its Judeo-Christian traditions and bases, is basically becoming a completely different thing to what we've experienced for our lives. And those changes all have profound consequences. But the Bible and God Himself says is unchangeable. He stays the same. He is pure being and no becoming. And that's why God, when He reveals Himself to Moses, can say, I am who I am. Only God can make that claim because He doesn't change. He's not subject to external forces that change Him and mold Him. So we now need to think, so that's that's a distinction between God, the Creator, and us as creation and how we experience this, this aspect of change and unchangingness. And what do we mean by God is unchanging? This is how uh, the theologian Wayne Grudem defines God's unchangeableness. He says this, 
God is unchanging in His being, perfections, purposes, and promises. Yet God does act and feel emotions, and He acts and feels differently in response to different situations. So I think it's important for us, often we can think about things like big laws, like the law of gravity and so on. These are impersonal things. God, even though it doesn't change, is still in relationship with us as His creatures. And as a result, He does feel emotions. So when we think about God's unchangeableness, don't think that God doesn't experience or can't experience um, sadness or delight or joy or these things. He can. But in His character, in His being, in His perfections, in His purposes, and in His promises or His Word, He stays the same. I'm just going to take each one of those in turn and just think about each of them briefly. So firstly, God is unchanging in His being. We've already seen in Psalm 102 that God stays the same, and and this is reinforced in different parts of the Bible. In Malachi chapter 3, for example, in verse 6, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. God, in the essence of His existing, does not change. God is eternal and stands outside of time, outside of creation, and is unaffected by those things. So He doesn't change in His being. Secondly, God is unchanging in His perfections. Near the end of Moses' life, well, there's this at the end of, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses effectively sings a song, a song of farewell to Israel just before he, he dies and just before the Israelites move into the promised land. And if uh, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4, it says this of, of God uh, in this song. It, it refers to God as the rock with a capital R. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. And that's what we were singing about earlier. God is unchanging because he is already perfect. If you think about that for a minute, it's impossible to improve upon perfection because if a change is made to something that's already perfect, there would have had to have been a defect there in the first place to make it better. So God, by being perfect in His nature, is, can't be anything other than perfect, and He wouldn't be God if He wasn't perfect. Thirdly, God is unchanging in His purposes. God doesn't change His purposes or His plans. So if you read the story of the Bible, we find that right before time began, God, and before God spoke creation into existence, He put breath in Adam's lungs, and He purposed to gather to Himself a people for Himself. Isaiah 46 verses 9 to 11 talks about this. It says this, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. And in Psalm 33:11, it also says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of His heart to all generations. 
That's not just a theme that runs through the Old Testament. If you also look at the New Testament, and the, uh, in Acts chapter 4 and verses 27 and 28, when the, the apostles are preaching about what's just happened, Jesus has died, He's been raised from the dead, and He's ascended into heaven. And the, the, the apostles are, are really keen to point this, this out, that, God's, that this was all part of God's plan right from before time began. And this is what it says, "'For truly in this city,' and that's Jerusalem, "'there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So God's plan for salvation enacted through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus was all part of God's purpose and plan from before creation even happened, from before time began. So God doesn't do plan Bs. There is only one way anyone can come to Him, and that is through Jesus Christ, and that plan hasn't changed and will not change. And fourthly, God is unchanging in His promises. Linked to God's unchanging purposes are His unchanging promises, His Word to us. And if you think about how does God actually act in the world, just think about the creation story. If you go right back to Genesis chapter 1, and think about how did God bring creation about. He did it by speaking. It repeatedly says, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be an expanse that divides the waters. Let us, let go, and finally God said, let us make man in our own image and likeness. And John also, in, in, in John chapter 1, John, when he's talking about Christ, refers to Christ as the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. God acts through His Word. What God says is, is what happens, essentially. So that's why His promises and His purposes are linked. And we can be totally sure that if God says He will do something, He will actually follow through and do it. If He makes a promise, He will do it. Numbers 23 and verse 19, God is not man that He should lie or a son of man, that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Each of these aspects of God's unchangeableness in his being, his perfection, his purposes, and his promises are deeply profound and have far-reaching implications. It's impossible to do any of this justice in a single sermon, but I hope that you can start to begin to see the importance of these truths, because the truth matters and what we believe has consequences. So having sketched out, hopefully, how God changes in the aspect of, of, of how, sorry, how God doesn't change, um, I just want to think now about what are the implications for that for us today in the world? Um, and I want to do that in two ways. First of all, I want to I want to do it in the form of a warning, first of all, and then I'm going to finally come to an encouragement at the end. And, and this warning, first of all, is, is, is predominantly addressed to Christians. We currently live in a culture 
which increasingly believes that there's no such thing as absolutes, especially if they don't accord with how I want to live my life. And you might hear people use the phrase, that might be your truth, but it's not my truth. Essentially denying that truth is something that's objective and can be found outside of ourselves. And as a result of that, everything becomes fluid. Objective values and long-established distinctions and boundaries end up becoming subjectivized and blared. History is revised and even erased sometimes to suit a certain political narrative. And words can change their meaning and have different connotations by, you know, deliberately by ill-intended groups of people. And, and this is the water that we swim in. And unfortunately, Christians and the wider church are not immune from this corrupt, corrupted thinking. God's Word has been continually attacked and reinterpreted and revised to try and accommodate 21st century cultural norms. You just think about same-sex marriage and other things. What's all that got to do with a sermon about God is unchanging? I think at the, at the root of the belief that God's Word needs to be revised or to make it more acceptable or palatable to our modern ears is a denial of God's immutability, is a denial of the fact that God doesn't change. It's a false belief in a God who changes his mind with time. And it can play out like this. You know, we, when you read through the laws, the moral laws in Leviticus, to our modern ears, some of that feels pretty uncomfortable. And in the Old, te you know, in the Old Testament, when we read about a God who is seemingly uh, a God of wrath predominantly, where nations are, are judged and wiped out by, by the nation of Israel on God's behalf. People just can't get their heads around the fact that, well, okay, in the New Testament, Jesus is love, so God is all about love. So that God of the Old Testament surely has changed. We're now in a, modern, in a new era, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The same God at the beginning of creation is the same God today after Christ has come to the earth and died. And some popular preachers would even want to try and detach the Old Testament from the New Testament because of this discomfort that they have with how we read things in the Old Testament. And if you think about this, there's nothing new here. It's a lie, and it goes right back to the Garden of Eden. The first word out of the serpent's mouth to Eve when she was tempted was this, did God actually say? Did God actually say? In other words, God didn't really mean what He said. And this is in a direct contradiction of what we just talked about a few minutes ago. God is not man that He should lie, or a son of man that He should change His mind. So let me pose this, this warning in another way as a question. Why is it dangerous to believe that God changes His mind? I think there's several reasons to that, but I want to just focus on one main one. If you end up believing that God changes His mind, it can ultimately lead you away and astray from Christ. And if, where do you, you may ask, where do I get that from? In Hebrews 13 and verses 8 and 9, it says this, 
Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. The phrase, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, is a bridge between the preceding verses in Hebrews 13, which talk about a, a way of true Christian living, and the following verses, which go on to speak about false teachings that were circulating in the church at the time and taking people away from Christ ultimately. The foundation for true living is established in the fact that Jesus Christ doesn't change and is therefore absolutely trustworthy. If you think about one of the foundations of any healthy relationship, it's always built on trust. Why do we end up trusting someone? It's often because we see the integrity in their character. We judge them by their truthfulness. Do they actually mean what they say? Do they, when they give a word to do something, do they actually follow through and complete that and do it? We are rightly wary of people who change their minds or are economic with the truth or repeatedly break their word. So let's just explore for a minute what a false belief in God and a God who changes his mind, where does that actually lead to? If God were to change, just think about it, if God were to change his mind about just one thing, or if he was just to break one promise, how can you then be sure that he won't change his mind about other things and maybe even more important things? If you follow this line of thinking to its logical conclusion, then you end up supplanting God's word, the Bible, and you put in place or add to it other truth claims. And gradually over time, you'll end up constructing a belief system which no longer has Jesus Christ at the center with a faithful obedience to His Word as a part of that. And that's an extremely perilous place to end up. And it really does make the difference between life and death. Just imagine for a moment that you had a friend and this friend was, you know, one day is completely convinced that there's no such thing as a law of gravity any longer, okay? And they decide that they're going to take a few friends with them, and they're going to prove this to them beyond any doubt. So they all trot off to the top of the cliff, and the friend has all of the intent of stepping off the edge of the cliff to prove that gravity no longer exists and isn't actually an unchanging law. It doesn't take a genius to work out that the objective truth of gravity would be pretty evident pretty quickly as soon as that person stepped off the edge of the cliff, probably with pretty brutal consequences. Now, if you were one of those friends, what would you do? Just because that person has a belief in something that he thinks is true doesn't make it true. The law of gravity is still the law of gravity and is unchanging. What God, the God who reveals himself in his word as unchanging is still the same God. And the laws, the moral laws, the natural laws of the universe that he's put in place here still hold true today, irrespective of what you might believe. So that's the warning. Don't be deceived by 
uh, thinking that God changes his mind because he doesn't. So if we want to step back from the cliff and just look at some final encouragements before we, uh, before we finish today. I think one of the things is, with these sorts of big doctrines, it's really quite challenging to think about those and relate the truth of those big doctrines to everyday life. Um, you know, what difference will my grasp of God's immutability make uh, this Tuesday afternoon in the third conference call of the day? But theology, and we all have a theology, we all believe something about God actually does matter. And it just might make all the difference for a Tuesday afternoon sitting at the desk on a conference call. But I want to move our eyes a little bit more outward from the mundane of our everyday lives. I want to step back and look beyond the desk or look beyond the kitchen table again. And I want us to think about the backdrop from, for a few moments of the encouragements that I'm about to come to, and I will get there, I promise you. But I think it's really important that we understand the backdrop that we live in in today's society as Christians. Just think for a minute about what's going on in the world in the last 12 months. It has been a crime in Scotland for churches to gather in person. It has been illegal for families to meet together in the normal way. Pastors have been arrested on the streets of England for teaching a biblical view of marriage. Gavin, now Laurel Hubbard, will be the first transgender Olympian this year competing in female wrestling or weightlifting. Do-it-yourself, at-home abortions have been legalized. In the first half of last year, 2020, from January to June 2020, in England and Wales, there were 110,000 abortions. The The abortion law that was imposed on Northern Ireland by the Westminster government last year allows for pre-born babies to be legally terminated up to birth if they have a serious disability. And I could go on. None of these things can be, can, be, can be considered positive or even neutral at best in our effects. And this is the world that we live in. It's rapidly changing and it's decomposing in front of our eyes. And it's all a direct result of implementing a secular postmodern ideology. This is what happens when you take God the Creator out of creation and out of the picture. When the creature forgets his Creator, godly wisdom is despised and there is no longer anything that remains that becomes unchangeable. And we, com- we in this, com- be com- we will become completely untethered and adrift in a merciless sea of change. So that's the culture that we live in. What do you need in heavy seas to avoid being shipwrecked? 
You need an anchor. You need something that is steadfast and unchanging and that will never change and will never let you down. That will keep you firmly fixed irrespective of all the forces that are coming at you. Hebrews 6.19 says this, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. We are creatures who are created with an inbuilt need to be anchored, securely anchored to our unchanging creator, the rock with a capital R. There is no security in this world. There is no security in the next world without Christ. So here's the encouragements. If you think now about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, God is unchanging in His perfections. That means that we can fully trust Him. He is perfectly just, and He is perfectly faithful. And when we come to Him today, we can be sure that He hasn't changed from yesterday or the day before. And tomorrow when we wake up, we can be sure that He's going to be the same as today. There is nobody else like Him. And God's unchanging purposes mean that we can have complete and full assurance for salvation. His enduring love that sent Jesus to the cross means that He hasn't actually changed His mind about the debt that was paid on the cross for your and my sins. The debt has been paid in full. God hasn't changed the price tag. He hasn't changed His mind about what is required. And that means that the free gift of grace is available to us today, just as it was yesterday, and just as it will be tomorrow, and up to the point when Christ returns. And God's unchanging promises mean that we can live in complete security. The Bible is full of promises like Psalm chapter 16, verse 8. It says, I have set the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. What a gift it is to have God's Word in our hands. And what a tragedy it is that we end up overrun by fear and anxiety, often because we don't know half the promises that God has made to us that we can actually rest in. Just in closing, I just want, if you just take the, the fact that God, the, one of the ways in which you relate to God, and probably the main way that we relate to God, is through His Word. This is God's Word to us. I want to put some flesh and bones on this. This is, our God is the same God today as He was back in 1950s and 1960s, Czechoslovakia. And I just want to read um, a, just a, a brief bit of a, of a story about a priest called Sylvester Kirk Murray, who was a, a leading light in the underground church in Czechoslovakia under communism. And I want you to, to just hear what he has to say about the importance of being grounded in the truth that, he can, that you can get from God's Word. 
and the fact that this is the same God today that sustained Sylvester Kirchmary as is active and acting on our behalf today. This is what he says. He was in prison from 1951 to 1964, 13 years in prison. In that time, he was, um, he was subject to all manner of torture and humiliation. And this is what he says in his memoirs. He says he decided to be like Peter, to close my eyes and throw myself into the sea. In my case, it truly was to plunge into physical and spiritual uncertainty, an abyss, where only faith in God could guarantee safety. Material things which mankind regarded as certainties were fleeting and illusory, while faith, which the world considered to be ephemeral, was the most reliable and the most powerful of foundations. The more I depended on faith, the stronger I became. And his personal routine included memorizing Scripture, passages from the New Testament. And this is what he says about that. He says, memorizing text from the New Testament proved to be an excellent preparation for critical times and imprisonment. The most beautiful and important texts which mankind has from God contain a priceless treasure which moth and decay cannot destroy. Indeed, as one spiritual life intensifies, things become clearer and the essence of God is more easily understood. Sometimes one word or a single sentence from Scripture is enough to fill a person with a special light. An insight or new meaning is revealed and penetrates one's inner being and remains there for weeks or months at a time. That's the words of somebody who was grounded in their faith in the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, who never let him down, never, never let him go in 13 years of imprisonment. And he was, uh, he was instrumental in 1988 and 1989 in the Velvet Revolution. Um, there, were, there, were, there were prayer meetings and so on in Czechoslovakia that preceded the fall of communism. And God was faithful and pulled and brought Sylvester Kirk Murray through all of that. So why do I say that? This morning, I want to just invite you to come back to the rock. To find the anchor that you need for your soul. To find rest in the Lord Jesus Christ and in His Word. Let's just pray. Father in heaven, we just uh, bow humbly before you. Father, we thank you that you are a God who doesn't change. Father, we thank you that today, in 2021, your love endures. We thank you, Father, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the same today as he was yesterday and will be forever. Father, I pray that you will take these truths. I pray, Father, that your spirit will write them on our hearts. And I pray, Father, that each of us will find true rest in you as an anchor, a rock that is immovable for our souls and for our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen.